Hello, and welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast, where we discuss nonprofit technology, cybersecurity, tech project implementation, strategic planning, and nonprofit IT careers. Find us at communityit.com. Thank you for joining Community IT for this podcast, Part 1. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits. Listen for Part 2 in your podcast feed. Welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast. Today we will have a panel of experts from Build Consulting answering audience questions about improving your nonprofit CRM data management. CRM is Constituent Relationship Management Databases. So after this podcast, you will have learned a little lingo and also be able to talk about why these contact databases are so important to nonprofit organizations, what to do if your nonprofit has multiple databases where you store contact information, and when to change CRM platforms to better meet business needs of your organization. In part two, we'll tackle some questions about wealth screening, what qualities make a good database administrator, and when you might want to outsource that management to experts, cleaning up your data, and improving your fundraising with data. Community IT is focused on providing outsourced network management and technical support services to nonprofits. Build Consulting is a company we partner with frequently, and we both serve nonprofits exclusively. Build leads in the social good sector by serving as part-time or interim chief information officers for nonprofits. They do strategic assessments and create tech roadmaps, and they also do consulting on software system selections and implementations and other tech projects. And they provide outsourced data managers with deep development operations experience in nonprofit CRM. These consultants are going to be the panelists in today's conversation. Kyle Haynes, Joe Butler, and Sarah Lewis have years of experience with nonprofit CRM databases between them, from consulting on database projects and migrations to doing the actual data management. You can learn more about Build at their website, www.buildconsulting.com. Their Q&A today will be moderated by Peter Maris, a former partner at Build. I want to remind everyone today that Community IT is vendor agnostic, so this presentation is to discuss how nonprofits are using tech tools and what we are observing about them, but we aren't recommending any database platform in general. We only make recommendations to our clients based on specific business needs and nonprofit culture. So in this part one, we are going to get to the questions. My name is Peter Miras, and I'm serving as the moderator for today's discussion. Kyle? Hey, everyone. I've gotten to learn a lot from Joe and Sarah who are on today's call. So I'm just I'm really excited to have a conversation today and hear their perspective and share a little bit more about mine. Thanks, Kyle. Joe. Um, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Joe Butler, and I'm really looking forward to answering your questions and talking about a topic that I really like to geek out about, which is data management. Thanks, Joe. Sarah. Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah Lewis. So the first question we're going to address today is how do I get my organization to understand how important our CRM database is? Sarah, would you like to take the first crack at answering this question? Yeah, thanks, Peter. Um, I think I would say that 
the very first step is going to be uh, senior leadership buy-in. So really getting them to understand that your CRM is the absolute most important piece of maintaining and creating those quality relationships with your constituents. And then from there, kind of driving that positive change from the top down. And just to be clear, when I'm saying constituents, I'm talking about anyone in your database, whether that's your organization's members, volunteers, um, event attendees, et cetera. And then I would also just add that there can sometimes be feelings of resentment within an organization if people feel as if a CRM is kind of being forced on them without any real acknowledgement of the hard work that goes into a thriving database. Um, that can really go a long way in ensuring that individuals and teams are all feeling engaged and that everyone has a clear sense of what the return on investment is going to be for the organization. Um, <clears throat> so this is Joe. I believe that the best way to help people to understand CRM's benefit is to demonstrate how it can improve and support their work. And I see this a lot. It's the classic, you know, what's in it for me mentality. Staff don't adopt the new system because they don't understand like what it can offer them. So I would spend some time explaining how CRM will benefit them directly and not just the organization as a whole. So explain to each department how valuable the CRM can be to their responsibility specifically and help make the connection to how their use rolls up and informs your organization's use of that data to ultimately help your mission. This is Kyle, and I, I think I would add that for some organizations, maybe the way to ask the question of senior leadership, going back to what you said, Sarah, is could we serve constituents better if we used CRM better? If the organization doesn't think the answer is yes, then perhaps you have a huge problem. If the answer is yes, if people say, we can actually use this to make meaningful changes in how the organization engages with and interacts with constituents, I think taking the time to actually spell out what that means is important. So this can mean a couple, the way I think of it, it can mean a couple different things. It can be looking at um, what the cost savings might look like if you were serving constituents better, or even better, if you can figure out that there's going to be a return on investment, if you can figure out how this might actually drive revenue, that's the best way, in my view, to get senior leadership engaged. Uh, back to, again, what uh, Sarah said at the outset. Um, I found it's just easier to engage organizations around what the opportunities are rather than just making the case that this will make us work faster. A lot of folks in senior leadership positions have heard that argument before and not seen any return on that. And something you said, Joe, that I thought was interesting uh, that I hadn't really thought about was spending more time with uh, staff at either the team level or individually. And I'm wondering, is there anything you've done that you think would work well? So yeah, I in the past have asked to join their department or team meetings for the first 10 minutes and sort of show and tell how to do something relative to their processes in the system. So show them a cool feature or report that will improve their team's efficiency. Um, we've also tried hosting sort of a lunchtime show and tell. Some nonprofits call them brown bags that highlight capabilities. 
Um, another tactic that we deployed um, at a client of Build Teams was to appoint a super user or a data steward in each department who can really help cheerlead uh, system use and to help the enthusiasm come from you know various staff levels, not just you know the one person drumming on about its use. Does that help? It does. I like that idea of a data steward. I think that's really interesting that they're embedded in each department. Great. Cool. Thanks. Second question is, what are some key trends that we see happening in the CRM space this last year in 2018? And what should we be planning for in this year? This is interesting because I feel like this question comes up a lot um, and it, it seems to be a perennial question. And I saw a lot of the questions today in addition to this one being related to organizations who were talking about fundraising specifically and people who might be considering making a switch. And I think an overarching comment uh, is that a trend that I've seen going on for a number of years is that vendors are thinking about CRM more broadly than just fundraising. And I think that this mirrors in some ways some of the ways that I see organizations thinking about CRM. I just think we're seeing a definition of CRM that gets even more murkier as the boundaries of CRM technology is getting murkier. Uh, so for one of my clients, the boundaries of CRM are going to have to expand to include engagement via mobile apps, engagement via a client intake system, engagement on Facebook, and I think for now that's it. And that gets overwhelming. And so that's that's an example of how the Boundaries of CRM, I think, are expanding both for our clients and also for the marketplace in general. And secondly, I think um, if you're thinking about making a change and planning for those changes and preparing for those changes, I would try to figure out what stuff was happening outside of my CRM and then focus on what it would mean to get that stuff into your CRM. And as we always say, and Peter mentioned earlier when he shared our information strategy, before jumping to technology and making the assumption that it will just magically happen by making a technology change, I would figure out the, all of the levers that the organization needs to pull to get the return on investment of making a change actually to materialize. And then I think for the organizations on today's webinar, I think there's some folks that are on the smaller side. I think the last thing I'd say about trends is that we're seeing a lot more competition for your attention with seemingly new players every month. And I would encourage those smaller organizations to walk, not run to those solutions. If you're going to make a switch, make sure the technology is your real need and it's not something else uh, related to process or data or um, senior leadership operations, the other aspects of information strategy. Um, if I could jump in here, I just wanted to uh, talk about something that Build is actively involved in, which is testing out some new workflow functionality uh, for a particular vendor. And the workflow is sort of where users can instruct or configure the database to bake in certain tasks or actions to take place when 
specific triggers or things happen in the database. So for example, if a gift over $500 is made in a certain region, once the workflow is set up, the database can add an action to the fundraiser's task list to call that individual or sort of even further, they could, um, the system could send out a highly personalized thank you card by email to that donor and then log that interaction on the constituent record. So that's really cool things coming out um, in the pipeline. And I personally am pretty excited to help organizations sort of leverage that capability um, in this coming year. Thanks, Joe. Again, don't forget, folks, you, if you hear something that prompts another question for you or there's another question that you'd like to ask in general, you can go ahead and use the chat features and go to webinar to submit it. Third question, the marketing department is pushing us to change CRMs. They don't seem to understand how difficult that would be. What should we be <laughs> communicating to them? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... First, I would sort of investigate into why they're pushing so hard for a new CRM. If you have a solution currently, what can't it do for them that they think just getting another software could? Oftentimes, like just a changing technology isn't going to solve the underlying issues. And although some people think of CRM as just technology, it's so much more than that. So I would help them consider um, the following, which is like, one, do you have time to implement the CRM? So smaller systems for smaller nonprofits may only need, you know, three to six months, whereas larger scale organizations with multiple field offices or other systems that need to be integrated may need more than, you know, a year, year and a half. And there's going to be many staff involved with this change. So um, <clears throat> I would consider all the other activities that are going on within your organization too. Um, so you wouldn't want to implement a new CRM when you are launching a campaign or you have our, you know, your big 50th anniversary gala or database manager might be, you know, on absent because that will inevitably lead to an unsuccessful rollout. The other thing that I would sort of try to articulate is before you implement a system, you really need to know the total cost. So, you know, that re requires the upfront cost or the reoccurring costs to maintain. Um, but you need to run the numbers to gauge the potential return. So how soon and to what degree will the system positively impact, you know, acquisition, donations, member retention rates? How will it further revenue? how will it um, further revenue to achieve the return on the investment? Because usually it's not just the upfront fees or the monthly charges. There's also, you know, the amount of staff time, working hours, revenue that may be lost during implementation. Um, so I think, you know, trying to, to articulate and communicate that it's not just, you know, buying something off the shelf, that there's a lot of, you know, steps involved. Um, but I think Sarah, you've been through multiple software changes, right? What do you What do you think? Yeah, so I've been through um, a CRM conversion or two, and one thing that we did well, I would say, was kind of speak up early and often about what we wanted out of a new CRM, and then maybe something that we didn't do as well was really spend some quality time thinking about who all the stakeholders were and to what extent a change like this could impact each of them and the work that they do. 
So we have a tool that we use um, and you can actually download it from our site and it's called a change management impact grid. And it catalogs who's going to be impacted by a change and then also the extent of that impact. So using this tool is gonna look um, differently at every organization, but in general, everyone who will be impacted should feel like they got a voice, whether that's asking for input via a survey or if it's having an actual seat at the table during software selection. It can be surprising how extensive this part of the process can be for organizations and a lot of orgs kind of struggle with developing this list, which is what makes it so important to use right from the onset, since it really is the best way to kind of paint a really clear picture of everyone impacted by the implementation of new software. Kyle, did you have anything to add or? Yeah, it's in sorry, it's interesting. Uh, I put myself on mute because I was going through one of my coughing fits. But oh, no. I, I was thinking <laughs> about the change management impact grid and even using it on my projects, it's always such an amazing prompter to really think through how a change is going to impact lots of folks within an organization, or I should say all of the folks within an organization. And I sort of chuckled when I saw this question because um, when I think about marketing software, while it's getting increasingly powerful, it's nowhere near as foundational as CRM is for most nonprofits. And so when a single department is pushing something, I think it's really important going back to what you said, Sarah, to understand who all of the stakeholders are and how they'd be impacted by the change. And I think, you know, just to amplify a little bit, um, the point that I made about it being a foundational tool, it should be, or CRM should be, a tool for the entire organization. And no single department, whether it's marketing or development or programs, no department should get to push an organization towards a CRM solution that's centric to what they do. And I don't obviously have all of the details of this particular situation, but I would try to find a way to bring this conversation. Once again, I'd bring it back up to the senior leadership team of the organization and make sure that they really understood what the tangible and intangible costs of making this change would be and that there really are measurable opportunities in making this change. Um, and lastly, I would just add that I think there's a bunch of market, marketers are notorious, notoriously prone to fall prey to marketing. And there is a lot of market buzz around how certain tools integrate well with CRM and the extent of that integration. My experience has been in some of the selections we've done is that these integrations are really nascent. They're not that deep. And so if the push is one of the major pushes for the marketing department is greater integration, I would really want to understand what that integration looked like and make sure that the marketing team understood the extent of that integration as well. Thanks, Kyle. We had a question coming in from an audience member, Katrina, who asks, are those capabilities, uh, referring to the workflow capabilities that Joe mentioned, available in all CRMs? Our org uses Neon and has some of that functionality. Um, I would say, just to answer it cursorily and then throw it out to the team, yes, the, this type of functionality, the automated workflow, 
is emerging increasingly in sophisticated ways across multiple CRMs, Neon, yes, but also the Razor's Edge, Salesforce, uh, every action, and a variety of others. Kyle, are you, Kyle and Joe and Sarah, are you seeing the same thing? Joe, you first. Uh, yeah, so the vendor I was talking about was actually, uh, you know, Blackboard uh, with NXT. Uh, but I know that they, Razor's Edge has, you know, sort of what they call workflows baked into Razor's Edge database view, but this is more sort of acting upon the use of AI and sort of anticipating the behaviors of certain constituents and prompting actions upon that, um, which is what I'm sort of excited about. I'm not sure about other vendors uh, at the moment, I'm sure, you know, within, you know, nine months of Blackboard rolling this out, everybody else will sort of, you know, build something, write a script, and and you'll be able to use that functionality for Neon too. Kyle, I, do you have any? I mean, it's, I've definitely seen it in other places. And as you were talking about, um, you know, the particular client Joe was re- referencing, I'm not involved there, but what I started, where my brain went was, um, the process by which that organization made decisions about how that workflow, who was going to support that workflow. Cause I think the example you talked about earlier, Joe was that somebody might do a personalized follow-up uh, to donors who have given $500 or more. And I'll bet for most of the folks on today's call and our client, it's not as if somebody was just sitting around waiting for something to do. So it means somebody's job is changing, right? Like now I have the, someone has a responsibility to follow up with those donors. So I always think it's interesting the process by which organizations not only think about how they're going to surface information in automated ways, but what they're going to do with that information once they get it. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, the next question is, We actually have two or three different CRMs, one for support services, one for volunteers, and the Razor's Edge for donors. It's a mess and no one seems to care. Uh, We routinely encounter organizations with multiple CRMs. Sarah, what would you say in response to this question? Yeah, so sometimes a build, our approach is to kind of simply create a system map or a system diagram. And what this does is really shows kind of where the systems connect and then lays bare where they don't connect. And it also kind of documents the hard costs of having too many systems. So it really is a critical first step in getting everyone together to really consider how each system is used and how the systems talk to each other or even how they don't talk to each other. So kind of some other questions to think about when you're creating your map or this diagram are, Number one, how do we get the right information out of each system and then move it to where it needs to be? Um, Also think about how often is this done and then um, who's responsible? Um, So by using sort of separate platforms to manage different aspects of your donor information, the data sources have no way to inform each other. So the isolation of this data makes it difficult you to get a full picture of your supporters, which hurts your fundraising efforts. You don't necessarily need to have all the data from support services database to be replicated into the Razor's Edge or vice versa, but maybe you sync back a tag, flag, or attribute from the Razor's Edge into the support services database that indicates that that constituent is a donor so that when that they call 
support services again, the service rep can thank you for thank them for um, being a contributor. So I would take the time to sort of inventory the types of data that's in the different systems and how that can inform the relationship or make it easier to understand the customer when you're looking into each database individually. Um, I know that there's some great integration tools out there that can help with that data sync, of course, depending on what CRM you're using. I think maybe, so this is Kyle, what I might add is, um, and I'm gonna go back to something I said earlier, I talked about opportunities costs. And I think oftentimes when I work with clients, people have a notional, a notional idea that it would be better if we had one database or there was a database of record. But increasingly, as I get more gray hair, I'm not always convinced that's the case. So for the person who asked this question, I would ask what the likelihood of somebody receiving support services would be to become a volunteer, for example, or to become a donor, ideally, um, and try to do some extrapolation of what the likelihood would be, and then what the potential net revenue might look like, and try to make an argument for the costs associated with getting integration either with a lowercase i or an uppercase i set up. <clears throat> with volunteers, at least the last time I read research on volunteers, those those folks, I believe, are extremely likely to donate. Um, they're more likely uh, to donate than obviously acquiring a new donor. So if I were making an argument around that this is a worthwhile thing to do, I'd want to figure out, even before I integrate it, how many volunteers right now do we have that aren't donors? And based on industry standards, if we converted, let's say that um, they're 12 times as likely to give as an example, what would that actually look like, even if it was just a back of the napkin calculation? Because again, I think rather than just glomming onto the idea that everything should be in one place, actually showing the monetary impact of eliminating some of these silos, I think is a much more compelling way to make an argument, to make a change and make an investment. Well, thanks, Kyle. Thank you for joining Community IT for this podcast, part one. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits. Listen for part two in your podcast feed. Community IT does these free webinars and podcasts for our community, and we love sharing our knowledge and experience. If you have more questions or are having trouble with your IT at your nonprofit, please get in touch with us on our website, www.communityit.com, so we can start a conversation or schedule an assessment. Downloading any of our free resources there will get you signed up for our webinar reminders, and you can attend our next webinar in real time and ask our experts your own questions. If you love podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits.